Welcome to episode 64 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Kasserapple, and with me as always, fresh off of a second place finish at SCG Columbus, hey. is modern player Collins Mullen. <laughs> it's me, I'm back. <laughs> uh, yeah, dude, congrats, good job. Yeah, Columbus was a blast. It was so fun, for many reasons. Mm-hmm. Well, I know um, Columbus is your favorite Columbus, like, SCG yeah, first destination. Reason, Columbus is my favorite city, I'm on record for saying that repeatedly. Yep. I, you know, it's just kind of like a, it's like a college city, it's got a really good vibe to it, the downtown is really awesome. Uh, had a little too much fun in the downtown Saturday night, but that's I guess fine. it didn't affect you yeah. too much <laughs> the next day. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was great. the The weekend was was awesome. Um, got to team with Todd and Jody. They're just incredible people. Love hanging out with them. Yeah, and I'd say you guys have clearly established some sort of team dynamic at this point. Yeah, I mean, this is our what? This is our third top eight together. We had a quarterfinals loss a semifinals loss and now a finals loss so, <laughs> so i don't really know are getting sounds, there sounds yeah. like we're on track <laughs> we're doing it i think we've literally joked about this exact scenario yeah so. yeah 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 <laughs> so yeah i mean you know teaming with them is always really great they just really bring a really good like table presence i think to mm-hmm. uh to the team events you know we're always kind of joking around having fun you know having fun with our opponents it's always just kind of like a really good atmosphere that i think that my teammates are really good at bringing to the table and that you know, makes me know that no matter how the tournament goes, we're we're gonna have a good time. Nice, and that matters to me a lot. You know, I you know I want I want like the games to be enjoyable. I don't really want to have that kind of like cutthroat attitude all the time sure. that I think a lot of match players have adopted. It's just you know it's just better if you can if you can learn how to have fun with your opponents and everything, and and if you can still win while doing that. That's right, nice yeah, too. and you know, <laughs> and all that stuff. So so yeah, that aspect of the tournament was really fun. So it's just kind of like good hanging out with them. And we crushed it. It was, you know, we did really well. We made the finals. Uh, Todd and Jody's decks were, I think, pretty busted for their respective formats. And I was playing Burn, so I won a little bit, you know. We'll talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Awesome. Well, we'll get to sort of the story of the weekend in a little bit. But first, I want to take a second to thank our patrons uh, and, and give you guys some information about that. And then we'll do our Keeper Mall and then we'll go into the whole story of the weekend. So first up, new patrons this week. We got a few of them. I definitely want to thank Eric, August, Liam, and Drew. So thank you guys so much for lending us your support. We also have some Patreon-related news. Uh, not only did you get second place <laughs> at Columbus this weekend, but you also picked up our Rad Inkling Customs tokens. I got them right here. Yeah. They're very shiny. Yeah, how do they look? Incredible. They, they're they pretty sweet. I'm super excited. Yeah, these are pretty cute Karn construct tokens featuring the two of us wearing some amateur cosplay <laughs> construct costumes. I'm sure coming to a tournament near you. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, probably we will have to make these costumes at some point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, you know, this is this is probably a good time to just talk about the Patreon a little bit. It's been a long time since we've really, like taken a minute to mention it on the podcast Mm -hmm. so these tokens these foil versions of the tokens are going to go out to all of our patrons so any tier no matter where you are uh we're just going to make sure to mail these to you as a thank you because we really you know appreciate the support and couldn't do this without you and and it's 
you guys are number one in our hearts and so we'll put our our tokens in your mailboxes and uh, hopefully that's good. Um, we will have to get p- current patrons to send us their email address or to send us their physical addresses so we can do that. I'm about to set up the Patreon to automatically request addresses for everyone so we can make sure to get those sent out to any new patrons. But we have some other rewards, you know, set up and sort of ready to go when we hit the right, you know, sort of the goals for support. Uh, number one, we've decided that every time we hit sort of a multiple of $25 on Patreon. We're just going to have a MTG Grindcast stream, just have an evening of hanging out, invite you guys in, play whatever decks or limited formats or whatever you guys want to see and have a couple beers, and that should be pretty enjoyable. And just sort of the rewards for each tier, I just want to go over really quickly. Little little ad, little plug. So the first tier, we've got our dragon tier. This is just the dollar per episode, and you get... You get this token, we'll shout you out on the, on the podcast, and we'll invite you to our Discord channel, which is really sort of the main reward. Um, definitely a lot of cool people hanging out there, sharing decks, sharing ideas. At $3 per episode, we've got our Elder Dragon tier, so you get all the stuff from the previous tier. Uh, you'll also get access to our show notes each week, where we you know just sort of keep track of what we're going to talk about, uh, link all the things that we talk about, announcements and deck lists and stuff. And once we hit uh, our next tier of support, we will start sending out custom MTG Grindcast t-shirts to people of that support tier. But we can't quite do it until we hit a a slightly higher level of support just because the finances don't quite work out to make that make sense. But we really want to get some t-shirts made. Um, Absolutely. Although you can't wear the t-shirt to tournaments so that's, <laughs> well yeah. that's why we got the hats done already i guess <laughs> yeah that, I'll, yeah i'll be i'll be prepping our hats which are also going to be something that we can have later but yeah um next tier we've got the planeswalker tier at five bucks uh you get all the stuff from the previous tiers and we also invite you to come hang out uh listen to our recording sessions live and then you, uh, you know get on the discord and then you can chat with us hang out after the episode and and uh you know ask questions or just talk for a little while uh, which should be pretty fun now that we're sort of locking down a time and actually meeting up in person instead of recording at noon or whatever we were doing when I was in Europe. Yeah, <laughs> that should actually be doable. Yeah. Um, so we'd really love to get some people coming, hanging out for live recordings. Um, then final tier, if you really want to give us some support, we've got the God Pharaoh tier where you get all this stuff from the the previous tier. Oh, and that that $5 tier, we're also getting hats out at some point. And then the God Pharaoh tier... Um, we've got all this stuff from before, but you also get our deck lists each weekend before we go play in any tournament. So you can see exactly what we're going to play in case you just want to copy the 75. And we'll also get playmats out at some point. But all of these physical rewards, we we need you know a little more financial help before we can really get them out there. Just because getting these set up requires a little bit of an outlay. But So if you guys are interested in supporting in any way, that's really awesome. Uh, These rewards are not like you buying things from us, really. They're more like we want to give, we want to make these cool things and we want to send them out to people as a thank you for, because we really appreciate the help that we've gotten so far. Anyone who wants to help in the future, uh, thank you so much. Of course, the podcast is always free. And honestly, just people listening and people sharing on Twitter and people sharing on Facebook and stuff has made a huge, huge difference so far. So, you know, if that's you and if you don't have the means or, or the desire to support us financially, just listening is also, you know, a huge thumbs up to that. So thank you. Thank you so much, everyone who listens and everyone who supports. Really appreciate it. So 
Should we do this keeper mall? <laughs> yeah, let's get into it. Now, this I'm is ready. a this is a very special keeper mall. <laughs> you want to <laughs> yeah. um, tell us about it? Yeah, so we'll do this keeper mall, and then I also have another keeper mulligan story from okay. my tournament weekend cool. that we can talk about. Yeah. So this one got a little got a little famous over the course of the weekend because <laughs> uh, this was Todd Stevens' five card no land hand that he, I guess, spoilers <laughs> he may have kept over this weekend. So essentially. I kind of want to like preface this with kind of the backstory sure. of yeah, absolutely. Uh, what was going on. So this was in the the quarterfinals of the uh, the team open. Going into the event, uh, I knew that our legacy seat. So in legacy, we were playing twelve post. Mm-hmm. Um, he was playing against a aggro loam deck, which is one of the decks. So like loams, wastelands, yeah. night of the royal query, keeping off our lands, really, really bad for us. Sure. So we were like, okay, Jody's gonna lose. I was playing against Marty Pyromancer with Burn. Mm-hmm. I was probably going to win. The yeah. matchup is one of the more skewed matchups. They do I seven think, damage. Right? Yeah. also lands every game. Yeah. And, and then in the... So the, the kind of close matchup was our standard seat, which was Todd playing his green-white tokens list mm-hmm. against mono-red. So that... I th- we d- kind of determined beforehand that the, the, the overall match was probably going to come down to Todd's match. So we started playing. I won my match easily because it was a good match for, for me. Jody lost his pretty quickly as well and and kind of while that was happening todd lost game one and then mulligan down to five in in the second game so we were pretty worried about it and (laughs) honestly you know todd and i were kind of like i guess that's it for our tournament you know good run i guess (laughs) but so todd opens up and he he peels those five and he looks at it and there are no lands in it so he kind of like motions it towards his deck a little bit like he has to mulligan again and Todd and I both look at it, and again, we're like, wait a minute. <laughs> we look at his hand. So his hand is two Flower to Flourish, mm-hmm. one Thorn Lieutenant, one History of Benalia, and a Tristani. So no lands, but two of the flowers, which can search your library for lands. And he's on the play. Mm-hmm. So so Todd's like, you know, I guess we have to mulligan this. and But then we're both like, wait a minute. If we scry land at the top, we say go... We draw our land, we play it, we get another land, then we can, in the next turn, play our Thorn Lieutenant, and if we can just, like, draw lands from there, we're in this game. Mm-hmm. Our, our, the three spells that we have in our hand are, like, the perfect curve. Yeah. It's Thorn Lieutenant, which is amazing against Mono Red. Right. You know, History is, like, a, a you know good body to get down on three. And then Tristani, which is also amazing against Mono Red. Mm-hmm. So we were like, all right, we got to try it. We kept it. We scried a land at the top. And, you know, the rest is history. We yeah. ended up winning that match uh, and making it onto the semifinals. But, uh, yeah, I think that kind of like the, the fundamental philosophy behind that is like sometimes, especially when you're mulliganing to low amount of cards, you need to be able to take risks. And this kind of like philosophy is like a little, it's, it's very different from my seven card hand philosophy, which is I really, really don't want to keep any seven card hands that are trying to get there, mm-hmm. you know, because you, you know, you can just mulligan to six and sixes are generally going to be just as strong and you get a scry. The scries are, mean a lot. But when you start getting down to six and five cards and stuff, you need to start being able to take those risks. And that's what the scries really help you do. So you can, when you're, uh, you know, when you're lower on cards and you're five or six, then, you know, you have that scry to help you get to what you need to, in order to get there, in, yeah. you know, in quotes, whatever. So, yeah, I mean, you know, in hindsight, I think that this is a very clear keep, even though it's kind of weird to... Say go. Right. The, you keep the reflex in, to, right? to put your hand back in the yeah, deck yeah. immediately with no lands is, is very right. strong. And Flower is one of those cards that after recording last week, we were yeah. like, oh, shoot, we should have talked about Flower Flourish. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that's one that 
I I overlooked and and felt very stupid in overlooking because it's just clearly an incredibly important card mm-hmm. in standard. It's it's effectively a cycling land that always cycles into the same spell, mm-hmm. um, except for in hands like this where it's not quite a land. Um, this this is the one drawback is when you don't actually have the land, but otherwise having. An overrun effect that is a land when you need it, and an overrun effect when you need it has, has been extremely impressive. Yeah, I mean, we were kind of joking around that that card was, uh, it was just two banned cards fused together, one of which was attuned to Aether, and the other one was uh, Splinter Twin. <laughs> <laughs> because of the play pattern that came up over and over again was Todd would uh, pass the turn, and in his opponent's end step, he would cast a very large Marks of Multitudes, mm-hmm. and he would untap, and he would cast Flourish, and his opponent would be dead. <laughs> right. And it would deal infinite damage, just <laughs> right. like Splinter Twin Just does. like Splinter Twin, infinity damage. <laughs> so yeah, that, we were really impressed with that card. Just like the, the kind of the overrun effect attached to, you know, being able to like have it in effectively another land in your deck. Yeah. Just really, really powerful deck building options there. So yeah, that card was very, very strong. Another, kind of another Keeper Mall that I want to talk about from the weekend, which also has a little bit of a fun story behind it, but I th- I think that my mulligans in this game really won me the match, whereas I, I feel like a lot of people wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. So I was playing against Dredge, and Dredge is playing the new Crip Reeling Chill, yeah. Creeping Chill. Creeping Chill, yeah. Playing the new Creeping Chill card, which is essentially like the new dredge drain three if you like it's like an arc amoeba but instead of being a one-on-one body you get to drain your opponent for three right and it seems a little underwhelming but a lot of people tested it and a lot of people realize that it's really good in the dredge deck yeah i think um i think you know i was talking with uh lucas about it mm-hmm. and it's pretty much just the fact that you have all these conflagrates in your deck so yeah it's you know they take a little damage you just from have this lands. burn plan yeah, yeah you just have you, and it doesn't matter how many settle the wreckages mm-hmm. or whatever they have yeah yeah, so that I think that that card is really good in that deck, and it particularly makes the matchup against Burn a lot better for Dredge. Yeah, I mean, you can just imagine that every once in a while they just like you know gain some life, and yep. you're like, God, 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 no, <laughs> because the matchup is always a race, mm-hmm. right? And if they can just helix you for free out of nowhere, then that skews the race so much. Yeah, so I'm playing against Dredge, and I'm game one. I just get uh, creeping chilled out of the game. Mm-hmm. It wasn't very close. And then game two, I'm on the play. I'm able to kind of like fade a Creeping Chill in the top, you know, like 12 cards of their library or whatever. And I'm able to race effectively and and get there. Mm -hmm. And then in game three, I look my seven. And some some information that you're going to need to know going into the story is that I have one rest in peace in my deck. An entire one rest in peace. Yeah, one rest in peace in my sideboard that I, of course, I'm going to bring in against Dredge. But it's not like really normally enough for me to want to mulligan aggressively towards. Of course. But on the draw, it's kind of a different story. Because on the draw, you know, I'm playing this race, my opponent has helixes in their deck, my back's up against the wall a Mm -hmm. lot. I look at my hand, and on it's my seven on the draw in this match was... Two lands and five spells. Mm-hmm. So ordinarily for burn, perfect. And I had one lightning bolt and a bunch of two mana burn spells, mm. like two Boris charms, a skull crack, even like a lightning, like two and maybe two lightning helixes. I don't know, is that five? Sure, but all, I mean, all it, two mana. Yeah, burn spells. All, all two mana burn spells. So uh, and and one bolt. So I even have like something to do on turn one or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I I look at it and I do the math and I'm like, okay, so I bolt him on turn one and then my next. Like four turns are just casting a burn spell upstairs. Right. Uh, and every time he flips a creeping chill, that's right. just kind of <laughs> yeah. you pretty much. So, but like, so my clock is like five, six turns mm-hmm. if he shot, fetch shocks himself. Yeah. Right. 
And I determine that that just wasn't going to win. Yeah. I like I need a hand that's going to be faster than just a two damage burn spell every turn. It's, you know, five turns against giving the opponent five turns just kind of do whatever they want. I'm not going to win that game. Sure. So I mulligan. My six card hand has no lands. So I mulligan. <laughs> Uh, and it wasn't even like a close six where you're like, okay, I got these goblin guides, so maybe if I can scry land at the top and mm-hmm. get there on my, you know, because I'm on the draw. It was just like a really bad, you know, no lander. My five has, once again, two lands and three burn spells, but it's two lands and, and all two mana burn spells. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, man, I'm so out of this match. I'm, I've lost. You know, I, I'm, I'm mulligan to five on the draw against Dredge. And then I, I kind of determine at that point that the only way that I can win this match is if I find the recipes. Mm-hmm. So I look at my my two land, three spell, five, and I'm like, right, I, the only way that I can win this match is if I find the recipes. And the best way to do that is to see another four cards. So I mulligan <laughs> again. And my mulligan onto four is rest in peace, land, two burn spells. All right, we We're did doing it. it. We we got there, <laughs> yeah. so I ended up landing the rest in peace and winning that match. And I just felt like like at each point in that decision process, I just I felt like I made a really good decision, and I got rewarded for it. I think that was like a kind of a cool, like little Mulligan story or whatever. Where I think a lot of people would have kept that seven and died because. You know, I just I was kind of able to do the math and f- determine that if I don't draw insanely well with that, you know, five card, seven card hand, I'm I'm just kind of dead to my opponent's fundamental game plan. Right. And you really don't want to keep any hands that are just kind of dead to your opponent's fundamental and game I, plan. And was your your opponent was on the play, so did you know they were keeping seven at that point? Yeah. So I mean, that's a very scary. Like when yeah. your opponent keeps seven, with my dredge, opponent kept seven and even had a conversation with their teammate. They said they they showed the, their teammate their hand, and the teammate looked and said, "Yeah, keep." And he was like, yeah, I just wanted some reassurance. So my opponent has a good seven, right? right? right. You know, and, and if I don't, you know, if, I, if I'm if i not doing, making extreme decisions, then I'm just very out of this match. Right, right. right. So um, linear deck with a good seven is right. not losing to like bolt you once a turn. Right, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, I, I was just like really happy with, with my like my process on like coming to that conclusion, and of course, I'm I'm sure that this uh, this story is only exciting, and I'm only remembering it as well as I do because I got there, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but but still, like kind of analyzing my thought process at each decision point of the mulligans is you know like yeah. I was pretty happy with. I mean, you got to give yourself the opportunity to get there, and this is yeah. the same. You know, I think this hand and also keeping the two flower no land hand, like mm-hmm. really similar philosophy is when you're behind, you have to take risks. And e- each of these situations you're behind. So you're taking a risk with each hand. Yeah. Got to find a land with the two flowers hand. You got to mull to rest in peace. And that's how you win the game is these like kind of low percentage things. But you have to give yourself the chance to let the dice fall in your favor. So, yeah. so I mean, we're already kind of talking about the tournament this yeah. weekend and we're I, I want to you know, treat that as its full topic. So, uh, you know, you do you want to just sort of t- start off with the story of the tournament and, like, how you guys landed on your decks and stuff? Because the last time I saw you, <laughs> yeah. you were recording this podcast and you were on four Mulder Hulks in Standard. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that just didn't happen. Right, so I, in preparation for this tournament, I tested Standard all week. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty pumped about this, you know, the Mulder Hulk green-black list. And I probably, I think I probably would have played it if I'd played standard, mm-hmm. but I got a phone call Thursday night from Todd and he was like, 
I'm, I'm not very comfortable in modern. I've been playing modern. I haven't been winning a lot. And mm-hmm. I, what do you think about modern? What should we do? And I knew that Todd had been testing a lot of standard as well, just part of making content for Star City Games, doing the Versus series. He'd just been exposed to a lot of standard. Mm-hmm. He was bringing up some decks. He had streamed a lot with standard. So I was like, all right, Todd, do you just want to switch? Play a ton of modern. I'm just good for kind of whatever in modern that we determine that we want to play. Mm-hmm. Um, let's switch. You know, you seem to be really comfortable with your green-white deck. Todd was very, very confident that the deck was uh, clearly the best deck in the format. I'm down for for that. I trust Todd a lot in terms of deck building and, and metagame decisions. So kind of at the last minute, we decided to switch. So so Todd ended up playing his green-white list in standard. Um, it turned out that was a beautiful decision. He lost maybe once or twice <laughs> over the course of the tournament. <laughs> and he just like, I feel like he had the most powerful deck in the room. His deck was all mythics, you know, right. <laughs> had a really cohesive game plan. And he really understood his, his, uh, his game plans in each matchup. Uh, he understood what he needed to do against Monored. He understood what he needed to do in the mirrors. He played a lot of mirrors. Uh, he played against multiple people who were just playing exactly an earlier iteration of his list because mm-hmm. he had streamed it. I, our finals opponent uh, was playing his list from earlier <laughs> in, the, in the week. So clearly that list was really good for that weekend. Yeah. So pretty, really happy with that decision. So um, what was the difference? What What were his updates? Was he... Did he go up to four venerated locks and on, and the older lists were not at four? I I'm trying to figure out what because I, I think, think the, I had the major, seen that the major change that I remember was uh, he ended up deciding to put a Lyra in the main deck okay. just to hedge a little against a mono red. Mm-hmm. But we cut a Tristani against for that slot, so and Tristani is also good against mono red. A little bit of a wash, um, yeah. Uh, but we he had some reason that he liked it better. I think that the rest of the list is probably pretty much the same. Yeah, it, now that I'm I'm looking at it again, yeah, it's it's pretty much the um, same list, yeah. But I think Todd had a really good edge uh, over the people who were playing his list because Todd made the deck and yeah. knew all the plans and all the matchups. So so he crushed it. Jody was testing out some stuff, and I had been playing Eldrazi Post lately. And Jody wasn't really happy with lands. We don't think that lands is really well positioned right now. And mm-hmm. of course, Jody is a you know lands expert, right? So generally, we're just happy to hand him lands and let him do his legacy thing. Yeah. But we just felt that right now in the format, lands was not that great. I was really happy with Eldrazi Post, so I pinged Jody and I was like, "Hey, have you tested out Eldrazi Post?" And he was like, "Not yet, but I'm I'm planning on it." And then a day later, <laughs> a day later, I get a I get a, a message from Jody with the with this twelve post list. That's and so when we say twelve post, what a lot of legacy like old school legacy players think about is like okay, primeval titan, show and tell, Mishra's helix, uh, yeah, 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 all these like all these crazy cards or whatever. But but Jody's list was much different than than like traditional like show and tell 12 posts his <laughs> list was you got to think of it more like mono green tron in modern okay but instead of tron pieces we're playing cloud posts right which is just so, way more broken oh yeah yeah <laughs> you just like get a billion man all the time and the other card that really broke his deck was candelabra of Taunus. We, we were able to play some candlesticks and okay yeah uh, so so candelabra is not not a lot of people play Candelabra just because each Candelabra is like a thousand dollars because it's a reserve list card and, and blah blah blah. But um, but one of the ways that people were really attacking these big mana decks was with back to basics. Mm-hmm. So we had you know seven or so forests in our deck and Candelabras. So if we got 
those online and our 12 posts, uh, under Back to Basics, we could just function normally. Yeah. Or not normally, but we could still have a ton of mana. Sure. Um, uh, so that kind of like, you know, just was like fundamentally a really good call against the metagame was just like running four candlesticks in the main it ramps you up so so quickly and yeah and the deck is just all about getting the man online and taking over the game in some capacity from from that uh the other benefit that you get is that you get to play a lot of like bullet lands because you're you're playing for expedition maps and for crop rotations so you can just like play a tabernacle and a caracas and a bajuka bog and, uh, like, all these, like, really tech lands that are really good at hosing particular matchups. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the a lot of the ways that, you know, I saw Jody win was just by, like, tutoring up one of the lands that was, like, busted in the matchup. He had three Mazeviths in his main deck, and I saw him... Uh, I saw him just, like, against Death Shadow get, like, two mazes out and a Candelabra, and... Like that just bricks four attackers. Oh my and, god! And and it just bought us infinity time to just be able to like resolve any of our haymakers and and win the game. Mm-hmm. I loved Jody's deck. It was really really sweet. And just like Jody knows Legacy so well, and every time I saw him just like make a really sweet play, it just like made me really excited. <laughs> like there's this one time where this Jody was playing against Death and Taxes, and he casts. So Jody has a a Caracas out, and a bunch of mana and a, a, a candlestick. Mm-hmm. And his opponent was kind of beating us down, but we had just got to the point where we could cast our uh, Ulamog. So so Jody casts an Ulamog. Something happened, and, and for some reason we knew that our opponent had a uh, Source Flashers in their hand. Mm-hmm. So Jody casts the Ulamog and exiles two things, um, and it kind of ignores his opponent's Caracas. Because the play pattern of bounce our Ulamog and cast it every turn is not just, super you know, great. We're, yeah. we're just going to win. We're, we're even excited to do that with our own Caracas, right? Yeah. And that was like one of the pretty sweet plays. Like with the Caracas and the big fatties, you can just cast them every turn. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you can like take infinite turns with uh, with big Emrakul or you can exile two things every turn with, with Ulamog. <laughs> so just kind of another like tech play or whatever. So so this play was really sweet from Jody. He, um, and it kind of like required his opponent to not really fully understand what was going on. So he cast... The Ulamog, he exiled two of his opponent's things, and his opponent knew about the Caracas that we had. So he his opponent untapped and casts Flicker Wisp on our Caracas, targeting our Caracas. And we figured, okay, he's going to try to plow our, uh, or swords our, our Ulamog now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we say, all right, in response, we'll, we'll activate the Caracas targeting our Ulamog. And then our, our opponent snaps off the, uh, in response, I'll plow the Ulamog. And then we go... In response, Candelabra, untap or Caracas, <laughs> bounce it again, getcha. <laughs> I was just like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and yeah, even those like onboard tricks, if it's a deck they've never played against, like right. you can get them for the first I, time. I would have missed it, I'm yeah. sure, you know? <laughs> so so that was just sweet. And and I was just, you know, Jody was making sweet plays all weekend and it was it was a lot of fun to watch. So uh so yeah. Nice. Um, I, yeah, so I played Burn. Kind of the exciting piece about my list was that I decided to play some Seder Fire Dancers in the sideboard. Yeah, I saw when we were driving back from the PPTQ this weekend, Yeah, uh, and uh, one of the guys in the car mentioned it, and I thought that they were saying Fire Drinker Seder, which is like the Jackal Pup from... Oh. <laughs> I, th- I thought, that sounds terrible. What? I don't yeah, understand yeah, yeah. at all, yeah, but this yeah. is just a completely different card. Right, right, right. <laughs> Yeah, so for those who are unaware, Seder Fire Dancer is a 
Uh, it's another two-mana enchantment creature, which Burn seems to love. It's uh, So it's one and a red for a 1-1 one, one that says, whenever an instant or sorcery you control deals damage to your opponent, Seder Fire Dancer deals that much damage to target creature. So it turns your Lava Spikes into Searing Blazes yeah, and turns, turns your all Searing your Blazes cards. into Plague Winds. Right, oh yeah, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> So I so I played that and I think it was I think it was fine. Uh, I was super super pumped on it like going into the weekend and I was like, man, I just can't ever lose to humans or spirits now mm-hmm. if I can resolve one of these. But that's not entirely true. If your opponent ever removes it with a reflector mage or a staticaster because they're aware about it for mm-hmm. game three or you know just kind of like anything, then the the tempo loss that you, that happens when they remove your fight answer that you've tapped out for on turn two sure. is pretty extreme. So I actually think, in hindsight, it's more important to play the full playset of Searing Blood in your sideboard mm-hmm. than anything else. Because that card is much harder to, you know, you just like can't get tempoed out or whatever, and, and it even like helps your plan of trying to race without dying to what's on board. Yep. I think fundamentally that's what that matchup comes down to from the burn side, is that you really need to try to effectively race your opponent. Like, the full control role is never really going to work out mm-hmm. against humans. From that perspective, we don't have any sweepers or anything to catch up or whatever. If sure. we if we did go on that sideboard plan of like, I'm planning on going full control postboard, then I think the sideboard would look much different. We'd play some anger of the gods and stuff like that mm. to be able to to do that. And um, you just can't commit that many sideboard slots in right. Moment. Yeah. Um. So uh. So I think that the searing bloods are just more important for the like you know race and remove your creatures plan. Yeah. Um, uh, and and less susceptible to getting interacted with. That is what I have been on in the past. Is all mm-hmm. the searing effects in like three lava mancers post board? Sure, and, sure. Yeah, and just I know. was pretty happy with the two lava mancers mm-hmm. in the main. There were definitely a lot of matchups where they were just zero damage cards, which was pretty bad. Yeah, but uh, so I I don't know if I would stick with two in the main, but I definitely want two to three in the seventy five for. For those matchups. It does make more keepable hands. Mm-hmm. Just like having any one drop in your opening yeah. hand is so much yeah. better than not having a one drop. So. For sure. Absolutely. So yeah. And and the tempo loss of it getting removed in some way is much less significant because it's a one mana creature mm-hmm. instead of a two mana creature. Right. Right. So. When you when you get your two mana creature removed, that was a Boros Charm or a Lightning Helix you could have cast right. that turn. Exactly. It's very yeah. different when you used your first turn to cast something. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, uh, as as cool and exciting as I think that the Seder Fire Dancers were, I think that, you know, it, while it might be true that some number of them still belong in the sideboard, uh, I think that you shouldn't play them over the third and fourth copies of Searing Blood. Mm-hmm. So what made you pick Burn in the first place for this weekend? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So I I wasn't testing Modern for up until this weekend, so I didn't really have a lot of time to like put into it to figure out what I felt was really well-positioned. So I kind of just had to go off of like the data that I collected, or not collected, but but was saw on mm-hmm. Magic Online through the tournaments and everything. And I saw on Goldfish that Burn was just the most popular archetype. And previously, like a couple of weeks ago, it wasn't even close to being yeah. the top archetype. So when that when that shift happens in metagame percentage, that's typically a pretty strong indication of this deck is well positioned and a lot of people are having success with this deck right now. Mm-hmm. I I messaged some of my friends who play Burn, and they, you know, were like, "Yeah, Burn seems pretty well positioned right now in the metagame. So, so I said, "Okay, you know, I, uh, I've played a bunch of Burn. I don't need to, you know, I don't need to test my, I don't need to like practice playing Burn. I've played so much Burn in the past that mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm just like good to pick it up or whatever." So I, I was like, "All right, I'll, let's do it." I, and I, 
jammed burn. And I, I do think that it was really a good choice. I played against a lot of mid-range decks. I think played against a lot of control decks. Um, both of those matchups are pretty good for burn. Right. I mean, um, are we thinking that, like, blue-white being everywhere is a big part of this? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because Jeskai has a pretty decent matchup against burn. It's not great. I, I wouldn't be happy to be playing against Spurn with Chess Guy, mm-hmm. but you have Lightning Helix in your deck. And, and Snapcaster Mage. And Snapcaster Mage, right, right. So so you, you have you have play there that's that's pretty good. But the blue-white decks, they're all like, they have a bunch of sweepers in their main deck. And right. Terminus not, is not where you yeah, want to be at. Right. Not a ton of counterspells, really. So blue-white just gets crushed by, by Burn. Okay. They, they do have tools post-board, and I think that some of them even do run a timely in the main. But as long as you can either fade that or crack it, then mm-hmm. you're. I'm pretty happy playing against blue white sure. with burn. So, yeah, I, I think that a lot of those factors definitely came together to make burn just well positioned. And I, you know, I, I kind of like had a soft read that burn was going to be well positioned for the weekend, and based on like the the shift in the meta game to all of a sudden the most popular deck is burn. Mm-hmm. Why is that happening? Uh, so I, I was I was willing to pull the trigger on it. Sure, and it was and it just kind of worked out because it was like a it was a deck that I could play without putting a bunch of reps into, and I feel like I can do that with a good number of modern decks right now. I've just played so much modern, mm-hmm. you, you know, over the past couple of years that there are definitely multiple modern decks where I can just play. But burn, you know, I started off playing modern with playing burn. It was like it was like my my initial modern deck that I played for a long time. It's so. an old friend. Yeah, it, it was an old friend and uh and it worked out this weekend. Cool. That I'm I'm really glad that it did. Yeah, I my weekend was a little bit less inspiring than yours. I <laughs> top eight of that PPTQ, so that was nice. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, make, I'm enjoying Guilds of Ravnica Limited a lot. Like it was just really refreshing to play Comp REL Limited. Mm-hmm. Um get to go with Jeremy and our friend Elliot, so it was just fun traveling to a tournament, you know, over in Greensboro, so not far, but it was just a nice trip, uh, had a really good time. Uh, lost in the semis to a friend, there are worse endings to a tournament, if I had to lose, it's okay. Yeah. And then I played an IQ on Sunday, I, I think that the presence of blue-white in the format is really a defining feature of it for me, you know, I just played Living End because I didn't want to put time into practicing Modern, so I played a deck that I had access to and had practiced with before. Yeah. Sure. Um, easily beat everything that wasn't blue-white, lost to Jess Guy featuring four Terminus, and blue-white featuring no Terminus, but plenty of other cards that just beat me. Yeah. Um, but Terminus it, is rough for, it's for you. It's <laughs> pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that, that blue-white matchup was, I mean, it was kind of a win in it. It, it was a win and in, but we split the first two games, and there was one match still going on that if... If it went one way, then with a draw, I could make top eight. If it went the other way, then with a draw, I couldn't make top eight. And I was more comfortable putting my fate into the hands of that matchup happening down there than the very competent blue-white opponent (laughs) that I was playing in a bad match, like a a pretty bad matchup. Yeah, yeah. Which is enough for me to say that in any serious tournament, I can't play this deck right now. Because, like, blue-white is just so atrocious. If my opponent makes a mistake, I can win. Like the the one game I took off of my opponent was because he made a mistake. But if they if they play correctly and their draws are anywhere close to reasonable, it's so hard. Yeah. Um, and so that the presence of blue white in the meta game is going to be a defining factor for my deck choices going forward. And I'm very likely to show up at the next modern tournament with burn or Tron or something like that. Makes sense. 
But I don't care about modern right now. <laughs> I mean, I do. I don't have any standard tournaments coming up, but it's all we've been playing. Yeah, yeah. Recently, I mean, standard right now is really sweet. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, we've been talking about the open, and we definitely have to talk about, you know, the SEG schedule coming up and the Watsi announcements that got made. But I think we got a couple of minutes where we can talk about just standard mm-hmm. a little bit. And so, like, just what did you guys see at the Open? I know Todd played several mirrors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sure he played against Mono Red a bunch. Um, but what did it feel like, you know, walking around and that sort of thing? I mean, yeah, so so there was a lot of green-white. Uh, green-white on Magic Online leading up to the tournament was definitely kind of the boogeyman deck of the format. Mm-hmm. Everybody was playing it. Um, it's just, like, it's pretty easy to come to that deck just because it's playing all of the best cards in the set. It's yeah. playing March and Venerated Aloxodon and History of Banalia and... Conclave Tribunal. Uh, and Conclave Tribunal and Lyra and Tristani. <laughs> you know, I mean, the list goes on and on and on, right? Right. So a lot of that deck, we played against a lot of Mono Red. That was kind of the other deck mm-hmm. that was really popular. People pretty quickly determined that Experimental Frenzy is pretty broken. Yep. So the Mono Red decks that really like played like three Frenzies in the main and a bunch of risk factors and runaway steamkins mm-hmm. and just like cheap spells you know it doesn't really matter what other red spells you're playing <laughs> with those cards because you know those cards are pretty pretty great and the um, cheap red spells are not bad shock and lightning strike well yeah are, i mean they're all very chain strong are great, yeah so. chain roller strike you know it was playing a couple of dorky wizards to, to play wizards lightning um, yeah but you know what the games where you have a one drop feels so good that yeah, i'm totally yeah. fine right playing the Lava Runner. Yeah. So so that deck, is, I think, is definitely going to be a very, very big part of Standard moving forward. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a little worried about that deck being too good. It definitely... Playing it, it's definitely felt quite good against most of the control decks. It's felt very yeah. good against, like, like gr- Green Black. I mean, maybe the build I was playing against was a little too ponderous to keep up. But, you know, they'd play, like, Ravenous Chupacabra, and I just wouldn't care. Yeah. I mean, I think the Selesnya decks do a good job of fighting the red decks on an axis that should keep them from being too dominant. Yeah. I felt like anytime my opponent drew two spells that said convoke on them, like I just would get out tempoed pretty badly. Right. So I don't like the red decks are certainly good, but there's there's definitely a check that exists yeah. on them in the format. They they are very good. But yeah, I mean I think that just kind of naturally the green white tokens list is a, a favorable matchup. Mm-hmm. Um or favored against Mono yeah. red. I I I definitely picked the green white side of that. You got to draw a bunch of chain whirlers to re- yeah to, to um, punish their and draws. frequently you can just like have a turn where you you just like main fa- if you're not like you know threatening to lose or whatever you can just main phase march for five cast a venerated loxodon and pass the turn with two two life linkers in play and if your opponent isn't killing you immediately from there then you're just gonna win that game yeah. Anytime, like, the Convoke spells just felt like such a huge tempo swing. Yeah, Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. even losing a Steamkin to a Conclave Tribunal, like, that was often my plan. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then you just, you don't have a plan anymore. Right. So, yeah, so I think that those are probably going to be the most, the two most popular decks, mm-hmm. and they'll probably be fighting against each other a lot. There were a couple of control decks, but honestly, I didn't, I wasn't really impressed with the kinds of control decks that I was seeing. Yeah. I think a lot of people were still hooked on... Vraska's Contempt, Black Cards, and Teferi. So they were playing like Esper versions of Control or blue-white versions of Control with Teferi and and the, the blue-white cards that are very medium minus right now. Agree. Uh, yeah. The, Strong the agree. Right. The blue-white Control deck has always kind of been medium minus blue-white cards 
and then the broken Teferi, yes. right? Teferi's clearly busted. You know, nobody's really disputing that at this point. And that's, I think, why those decks ended up being pretty good. But, you know, just like the way that they line up against Mono Red and the way they line up against Green White, you know, Green White could just outgrind them, mm-hmm. which is a bad spot to be if you're the control deck, right? <laughs> the control decks that I was most impressed with that were definitely less popular, but were the blue-red based control decks. I was just about to say um, that, yeah. No, Pir- blue-red based you mean splashing for Teferi, right? Um, potentially, yeah. I mean, I've seen the splash for Teferi, yeah. uh, and then because that all op- opens up, a playing Teferi busted, great, uh, fantastic, <laughs> and also B Deafening Clarion is right. really well positioned. Um, it's much better than Cleansing Nova right now. Right, uh, the Pirate Clasm is also pretty good. Mm-hmm. The right easy way to stop March of the Multitude, right. no matter when it gets cast. Yeah, just ha- having that as an instant speed effect is pretty strong. Uh, fiery um, Cannonade. Yes, fire, that's what it's called. Fiery Cannonade. So so those versions, I Todd was definitely playing a match against just a Jeskai control deck mm-hmm. with all those things, and it looked pretty miserable from his side. So so I think that that I think was, will probably take over as the you know quote-unquote control deck of the format. I think that people are going to stop messing around with the black rules spells. Uh, and start playing the 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 actually good sweepers in in red. Yeah. Uh, so if you you know if you are trying to play some sort of control strategy, I think that I would look towards that. Jonathan Rossum brought an Esper control deck that he liked a lot, but I still think it was not very good. Uh, so so yeah, I think that those control decks. And then you know at the, at the beginning of the tournament, we played against some some mono green. And that stopped happening by the end of the tournament, which I think is kind of an indication of how that mono green deck is. Yep, I think that's um, pretty much right. I we may have played one or two black green variants, mm-hmm. but neither of them really impressed me to the point because they they felt like a they couldn't really keep up with what Todd was doing, mm-hmm. and they also felt a lot worse against the red decks. So just like positionally, if if green white and red are the most popular decks, I think the green black is not going to be as as viable. Um, unless they just like really figure out the 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 benefit the green black has. There's so many different cards. That, yeah, you can you can you can tune it to do whatever, right? So I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to like later down the line, if mono red and green white are the like the clear best decks, I could see somebody bringing a really solid black green deck that's just really tuned against those two lists yeah. and is also flexible against the format. I think some. You know, like, I have not been impressed with Eldest Reborn, so I think you start out with, yeah, like, a, yeah, yeah. a fine finality-based core. Mm-hmm. You know, having access to that Wrath against the token decks is really nice, and right. then, you know, whatever other things you need, whether it's Plague Mare and stuff, I'm sure that there is a build that can find success, but the metagame's got to settle down into a place because there's just too many cards right. that you can choose in this deck. But kind of on top of all of that, there I've just seen a ton of really sweet deck lists mm-hmm. like the, the deck dump had 51 deck lists yeah from yeah two days that's ago. awesome right that's, that's nuts <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah a ton of really sweet deck lists uh that i've seen so i i you know while these are the thoughts that i'm having coming out of just a week one standard i i do believe that it's the format's not anywhere near solved there's mm-hmm. a bunch of really fun and interesting decks that are being played that I have potential to be really, really strong. Yep. The Boros Angels deck, I think, is also going to be a pretty big popular choice moving mm-hmm. forward a lot. Yeah, getting to um, play Deafening Clarion in your flying creature right, deck yeah. like, matches up really well. The, the flying mechanic in this format is really strong. Yeah. Just the fact that a bunch of people are not putting putting flyers down, like Lyra and all the other angels are are 
just kind of like really well positioned against red. July is a beating against red, and so is Lyra. Mm-hmm. And just like having three of you know each of those is is really good for you. Um, Definite Clarion, of course, is just like a really strong sweeper against both the the red decks and the um, the green white decks. And so, you get to use both modes of Definite Clarion. Yeah, you can, yeah, give them a lifelink and, yeah. then, and then make an angel because you <laughs> you, know, you get so much life. Right. Yeah. Of course, that that means that you had Lyra in play so that your your angel would survive the definite clarity. Although I guess if you just use the lifelink mode, then that's probably fine because you're getting yeah, an angel. Right. You didn't need to sweep. Or them. you can play the three three angel after you cast your sweeper or something like oh, that. Oh, that's true. That's how um, it triggers. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So I you know I think that there's just some really cool synergies there. Yep. So. Yeah. Definitely. Like definitely not like the kind of deck that you look at and you're like, all right. Boros Angels, this right. is perfect linear strategy <laughs> right, to, right. to beat standard with. Yeah. But I do think it was a, a clearly an adaptation on the the boogeyman's of uh, right. of and there Marit were and, there were like three or four different lists in the deck dump. So it's clearly having some success. Just that yeah. core of angels and definite clarion is really powerful. Right. Um, I will agree on those like blue red based decks specific especially the ones splashing for a teferi i like they looked like a mess to me like looking (laughs) at the list right um but if somebody tunes up a good version of that then yeah i mean i was i was playing against our friend wit yesterday and the deck seemed totally acceptable the mana worked out better than i thought it would yeah um usually had the mana to cast his spells unless he had mulliganed pretty seriously and expansion explosion surprised me with how decent it was even in a matchup where it wasn't particularly good Oh yeah. Um, just the the ability, you know, it's it's more flexible than you would think. Sometimes I would have to aim. I, I was mostly playing mono red against him, and I'd aim a burn spell at his face, um, not being careful about it, and that would just allow him to turn his expansion explosion into a removal spell. Yeah. Um, so I stopped doing that very quickly, <laughs> but it 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 put a, a crimp because one of the ways you maximize your damage is main phasing burn spells to pump your steamkin or your yeah, lava yeah. runner or whatever, and you kind of can't do that if you're expecting expansion explosion. In other matchups, or, or yeah, so like against like mono green, you sometimes just use it to copy your deafening clarion and sweep everything. In uh, control matchups, it's great because it's just a bunch of main deck negates for counter wars and then a way to go over the top at the end of the game. It's weird how flexible and powerful that card is, and I wasn't expecting it to be as as decent as it seems. Yeah. So definitely keeping an eye on that for the future. Yeah, for sure. Overall, from what I have seen from a lot of these lists, is that a lot of what's going on seems to be a big old mid-range slugfest. You know, March of the Multitudes is a mid-range slugfest sort yes. of card. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and so <laughs> if that's what's going on, I'm happy to be something that goes over the top of that in some way, whether that's mm-hmm. Flyers, Sweepers, Teferi, something like that. Yeah. Um, cause most of these, like, quote-unquote aggro decks from the drop were not playing one-drops in them. Yeah. If, yeah. if I'm playing Teferi and I can just choose to never play against one drops, that's the that would be the <laughs> choice that I make. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I think that's that's kind of my uh, my thoughts on standard. Yeah, definitely looking like fingers crossed, but it looks like we're get we're getting a healthy standard. Right. It just feels like there are enough cards that have been printed that keep everything else in check. Mm-hmm. Like Definitely Clarion, I think was a really good choice to print because right. they also knew that the token stack was going to be really popular. Uh, and I think that they they gave all these tokens lifelink because they were also worried about mono red being really good. Mm-hmm. So I think that they just like pushed the power level of standard 
up a lot with this new set. For a five card set, um, it seems pretty. Or for a five set standard, it seems. Yeah, pretty yeah. Good. The power level of all these cards is crazy. Yeah. So, so I think that we're just like in a really high power level standard that hopefully is going to be able to just kind of all of these cards are powerful enough that no one strategy is going to like completely dominate. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm feeling good about it. So now some some stuff that we might feel more or less good about, depending on which details we're talking about, or or which company announced them. Yeah. <laughs> so we got. We'll start with the easy announcement. We got two yeah. big announcements. Um, Wizards announced their GP schedule and some changes to pro play and stuff going forward. Um, right after that, SCG announced their uh, you know their tour related information. There's less stuff to unpack for the scg stuff so i figured we talk about that first yeah yeah for sure so just to go over what it is um we got our schedule for the first half of next year you can you can go find the schedule it's it's a number of team events which uh i mean i'm sure you are happy about because that tends yeah. to favor you guys we're talking about the star city schedule right yeah now? the star okay. city schedule yeah. yeah a lot definitely a lot of team events um so a lot of team events but we are getting a standard uh, standard open so that's nice mm-hmm. and um the really big thing is that they're bringing back the players championship the pc's back yeah i'm so excited so this is for for anyone who wasn't around when the, or who wasn't paying attention when this was a thing before yeah this is an invite only 16 player event at the end of the year yep that you know the 16 top scores from the tour get to you know however exactly they select it but mostly people who have had specific types of success on the tour play this small tournament for a $50,000 purse and it is super fun to watch and a super great reward for consistent success over the course yeah. of a year. Yeah, from a from a player's perspective as somebody who 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 you know like grinds the Star City Games tournaments over the Grand Prix, mm-hmm. kind of the reason that I initially decided to grind Star City events uh, was because of the PC, the mm-hmm. Players Championship. When I, you know, a couple of years ago decided, like, all right, I want to just, like, try to get my name up on the leaderboard, it was because I wanted to qualify for the Players' Championship. And that year, they canceled it, and I was really bummed. But I kept on playing, and I, you know, I I won some, you know, like, seasonal rewards or whatever. I was up there on some of the seasonal uh, events, but the rewards for that were, you know, sets of, of, of Magic cards or whatever. It wasn't... The player championship or anything right. like that, which is um, money exposure, like hanging yeah, out with everything yeah. that a player who's grinding the Star City events wants. Yeah. Um, so yeah, to hear that this player championship is back from a player perspective of somebody who grinds all these tournaments, I'm I couldn't be more excited. It's it's an incentive to go to more events. It's an incentive to you know try harder at the tournaments. Just everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm pumped for the PC. It's you know it's kind of a little different. For me, I guess now I my main focus is still going to be school, but also I'm you know I'm I'm able to balance that with grinding all these tournaments as well. Mm-hmm. You know I I feel like I can pretty healthily balance both. Yeah, I'm I'm super pumped about it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely it's definitely a big motivating. I like these you know rewarding consistent success sort of things, um, and I'm going to talk about like kind of what I wish we would have seen from the wizard's announcement to do a similar sort of thing that we, we really aren't seeing. So this, and and I mean, it's just a great event for spectating. You get to see it's all feature matches. You know, every, every single matchup is, is, would be a fine feature match. And so it's just very exciting to watch a couple of things in the announcement that are less exciting prices for opens are going up to 60 bucks and $180 total team for a team tournament. 
um, which is a little not great, but still better value than a GP, I guess. So I'm sure that they're just covering costs. And, and one of the benefits that they said that we're getting because of this is that they are going to be introducing time walk matches into coverage, mm-hmm. which is really important because that's one of the very few places where SCG coverage has kind of lagged behind. Yep, GP coverage yep. is just raw amount of magic on screen. Right. So that'll be nice to have more of that. Yep. And it was good. It, I was really happy to see that in the announcement because I just really respect them a lot from 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 learning from their competitors. Mm-hmm. I was just like noticing that, you know, the GP coverage was starting to get a little better in that aspect of... Uh, there's just always going to be magic on the GP coverages. But yeah. when you go to Star City, there's just more dead air. Yeah. So yeah, I, I love that they're introducing some some time walk matches. I think that in particular, it opens the door for a lot of opportunities to make uh, team open coverage a lot better. For my experience, when I'm watching the team opens, watching one match and then having the other two matches that we're not viewing at all decide the overall match feels kind of bad to me yeah so like having the opportunity to for example not show the records of the other game uh, of the other matches going on in the in the overall match Mm -hmm. and being able to like view each game at some point and Mm -hmm. then you you know find out who wins after all of that it seems potentially really strong um i don't know how logistically that's all gonna work out as well but we'll see what they come up with yeah yeah i'm excited to watch um the schedule itself if I were picking selfishly where every tournament would be, it would probably not be exactly this. <laughs> you know, there's sure. there's yeah. two Syracuse Opens uh, with like three months from each other. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch in Ohio. So some of these are going to be a little tough to get to from people in our area. Some uh, There's a bunch that will be totally fine to get to. There's five team constructed Opens, which... Or, yeah, five team constructed and one team modern, um, yeah. which is actually, that's really interesting, is the team non-unified team modern. Team modern open. non-unified is going to be a crazy tournament. Yeah. yeah. I, I, can't, I can't wait for Team Tron to face against <laughs> Team Infect, you know? <laughs> It'll be Just crazy. The, the old 6-0 in 10 minutes. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that will be really interesting. And, 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 like, one of the things is it will let you really see, like, oh, hey, like, personal preference really is a part of how these players chose their decks because these are three good players and they all chose different decks or these are three player good players and they all chose the exact same deck and because they came up with a team deck and that was more important to them so that you know we'll see maybe it becomes something really really boring and just it's all these three on three tron versus in fact whatever matches but i doubt that that will happen people love playing their own decks in modern so so yeah we'll see but uh, like overall the the level of team tournaments, I, I wish it were a little bit lower. The locations are a little bit rough for me personally, but you know this is a fine schedule. So yeah, I'm look look forward to seeing people at as many of these as and possible. And look at your squad. There are plenty of people that want. Yeah, to I mean, I, I'm not I'm not that concerned about it, but I like playing in team tournaments themselves can be very fun, yeah. but also can result in feeling like you let everybody down. Well, so. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, don't worry about it. It's, yeah, it'll it's, be fine. Yeah, like we'll um, just we'll we'll grab Braverman, put him in the legacy seat. Well, like deal. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I would love to have Braverman <laughs> in my in my legacy seat. So it'll be totally fine. Um, yeah. But so we've also got a Watsi announcement, which yep. is a little more complicated than the SCG one. <laughs> SCG one mostly good news, you know, just yeah. standard stuff, and we get the players' championship. So like, big thumbs up to that. Yeah, Watsi announcement is a lot more complicated. So just to just the facts this thing first number one gps are not just gps anymore they're going to be called 
and I'm not going to comment on this until we get to the commenting part. Okay. They're going to be called Magic Fest Weekends, and these are going to be sort of conventions that the GP is just one event at the convention. Mm -hmm. So probably kind of similar to how GPs already are, but kind of branded in a more clear way. Every PT is going to be at a Magic Fest Weekend. And there are also some changes to GP payouts. Uh, they're going to be a little bit less top-heavy and prizes are going to go to you know lower finishers. And there's going to be big changes to the qualification system. So no more PPTQs. And instead, they're going to get replaced by sort of this split system. There are going to be open qualification events. So these are just going to be PTQs like the ones that are day two of GPs. Uh, and there are going to be, it looks like there might be ones, you know, some other ones that are not just at GPs, uh, but they didn't give us much information about that. And there are going to be some invite-only qualification events that we didn't get much information about, but they said that they would allow... Uh, tournament, they'd allow TOs and they'd allow premier WPN stores to apply to sort of run series that culminate in invite-only qualification events. Past that, we don't have a lot of information, but that's sort of how the PTQ system is going to be. So, thoughts about Magic Fest weekends? <laughs> Magic Fest. Okay, so ignoring the name. Um, well, we can't just totally ignore the name. I want to ignore the name. For All me. right. <laughs> Uh, Let's ignore the name. I like the idea behind Magic Fest. I agree. I think that turning the weekend into more of a convention idea where the main event is only kind of like a sub part of mm -hmm. the overall weekend experience is just going to be better for more Magic players. Yep. You know, we're definitely looking at this from a perspective of, you know, the competitive people. We want to play in the Grand Prix. Mm -hmm element and you know the the main events we're going to be wanting to play in the main events and that's going to be why we are traveling to, to to magic fests but i think that if you just look at it from the perspective of the the overall magic player who are very happy to go and play inside events all weekend and be there to spectate the the like the day two of the main event or like the topic of the main event mm -hmm. it's just kind of cool from a magic player's perspective to have that going on in the same building yep which is also why i really like the change of having pro tours happen at big events. It's almost insane to me that this isn't how it has been. Uh, um, PTs used to be open, and they used to have a bunch of side events around them, and then they yeah. stopped that. And so this, I, I totally agree. Going back to this is is awesome. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think that I, I really like that idea. I like that pro tours are going to be hosted at Magic Fests. Mm -hmm. There was a little bit of backlash from the from a few pros I saw about, about that. They were a little concerned about having to prepare not only for the Pro Tour, but also potentially for a Grand Prix if they wanted to play it that, that weekend or what whatever. day two of the Pro Tour? But, <laughs> well, Come on. Right. Um, but yeah, but I just think that that is, you know, the, the people affected by that are, is much smaller. And I'm not saying that we should ignore that, but also, like, it's not a big deal for those players. Just prepare, the, prepare for the Pro Tour like you normally would mm -hmm. and... And maybe there's a Grand Prix going on as well that, that you might not play in because of the, you know, either making day two the, the Pro Tour or whatever. But I And think, especially for first-time qualifiers. Yeah. Like, if you go and you miss day two, that's pretty disappointing. Yeah. If, but if you've got a GP right. to play in, then that's a good consolation yeah. prize. My, I'm just, it reminds me of my Pro Tour experience going to Spain. Mm -hmm. When I went to Spain, you know, I, I, I went and I tested a lot in the week leading up. And I played in the main event and I didn't make day two. 
But my weekend continued to be incredible because I was able to just play drafts with a bunch of professional players that were there. I you know, played played drafts with LSB and Shahar Shenhar and mm-hmm. Sam Pardee and Sam Black and all these people. And I was able to make connections and, and talk to them. And that just kind of created, it was an incredible weekend for me. Sure. Even though I scrubbed out of the, the, the Pro Tour. So... I feel like the fact that now there's going to be kind of more of a convention feel is it going to make it easier for it's it's going to be a little less like exclusive you know I you know I wouldn't expect to be able to draft exactly with these people if you're mm-hmm. gonna if you're somebody who's just going to the Magic Fest to experience the Pro Tour as well but just the fact that you can be in the building and and be com- like playing Magic and having fun with your friends uh, and also spectating the the Pro Tour and just being involved with all of that is, I think, a really good positive experience. Yeah, and I'm really hoping that they, you know, do the whole thing where, like, they put the top eight on some screens and, like, let people be an audience and, let you know, that's that's a fun environment right. to be in. And yeah. if, if they incorporate that into coverage and we can see, hey, look at all these people watching the tournament, like, that's a big... Like, showmanship is really important. Mm -hmm. And showing people who are watching, like, hey, look how many other people are interested in this thing is a great way of legitimizing the experience. Absolutely. For sure. So I like like the idea behind turning the Magic Weekends into Magic Weekends, not Mm -hmm. just the main event. And and the main event will still exist for all the people who want to travel to the Grand Prix and main events and stuff. Right. And GPs have been convention-like for a while it totally yeah. made sense if you just wanted a place to go you know you don't get to play legacy very often so you can go to this G- nearby gp and play a bunch of legacy like that's a decision that made sense but the name gp the name grand prix didn't like communicate that yes yeah, so. exactly you know okay now we can talk about magic <laughs> a little uh, bit it feels like the first idea <laughs> and then they just took it and they didn't question it at all my favorite the probably my favorite thing that i saw this weekend was a tweet from the eden magic festival mm-hmm. um uh, Eden Magic Festival, uh, which has the Twitter handle Magic Fest, <laughs> tweeted at Saffron Olive. We're concerned about your decision to name your events uh, Magic Fest, and we'd like you to, to please contact us so that we can we can figure this out. Well, Saffron Olive, um, Olive will just get right yeah, on that. Saffron Olive had a really smart uh, understanding reply saying, "Hey, I think you have the wrong person. Um, <laughs> please contact Wizards of the Coast." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, about about your concerns, but that was, I, I mean, this is kind of like a silly, funny thing that I think happened, and just kind of, you know, we, we all laughed so much harder at it because I think the general reaction to the name Magic Fest was, come on, really, guys? <laughs> Can we do a little bit better? Yeah. Magic Fest, really? That's what we're going to call it? Even Magic Con? Like... <laughs> Yeah, it's hard enough as it is to explain to somebody who doesn't play Magic what I'm going and traveling to do every weekend, right. you know? I'm, I'm going to go to a Magic Fest. Right, I, I just think that's hilarious. But but I do I do want to complain about the name with the context of, I think that overall this is going to be good. Yep, and the name does communicate that, like, come here and play Magic. Right. And even if you don't, even if you don't want to play inside events, like there might be stuff here for you, whether it's yeah. like vendors, cosplayers, altars, artists, whatever, like that's what we're doing. So it does communicate that. Mm-hmm. It just definitely feels like the first draft attempt at naming what yeah, this is, yeah. but whatever. Um, and then, you know, the other big change was to the PPTQ system, Yeah, right? PPTQs are no more. And uh, now we're going back to a PTQ system, details of which... Nobody we knows. always get half announcements. Right, yeah. that, that is the that was, really frustrating thing. That, yeah, yeah I, I I was re I read all of the the announcement from from Wizards of the Coast and the number of times that I ran into the sentence 
more details to come in the future. It was a little disappointing. Yep. You know, a lot of these things I was pretty excited about, but my excitement I think was pretty contingent on the you know the details how it was going to work matter out. a lot here. Yeah. And we were given a lot of information and a lot of, you know, some good, some bad, but I think just like a lot of changes that could potentially be really positive, but we just, we just kind of don't know yet. So that's a little frustrating, but we'll be excited to hear more about that. Essentially, PPTQs are being replaced by what they're calling opens, which sound pretty similar to what what we understand as PTQs or Mm -hmm. old PTQs. It's pretty much going to be the same as PTQs that happened on Grand Prix weekends, yep. but instead of only having it on Sunday, it's now going to be every day of the Grand Prix weekend, so there's going to be Friday. Oh, did they say that? I think I missed that. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday are all going to have a, a PTQ or open, whatever you want to call it. So and that's so kind of cool. So, and one of the other things that they said was that each Grand Prix, so top eighting that or X2ing that Grand Prix, yep. instead of just qualifying you for the next PT, qualifies you for the next PT in that region. Yes. So do those PTQs qualify you for the next PT in that region also? Are they like matched I... to the GP, I guess? More details come in the future. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I guess that would, if they think that that is a good thing to do, then yep. that would make sense. I right. definitely have heard some rumblings about that not being the best thing. Because number one... It sort of like locks players to their region a little bit. If you yeah. only play in one PT in one PT every couple of years, you're only seeing like the PTs in your place, which you know saves air flight, saves flight money or whatever. One of the things that is really awkward is that some of the GPs, some of the like APAC GPs, they qualify you for a PT eight months after that GP, yeah. so it becomes very hard to consolidate your pro points meaningfully yeah, yeah. from there. And right. so that I think is kind of a problem, especially because APAC kind of lost like three or four gps i know europe went down from 15 to 11 mm-hmm. and south america also lost one or two yeah u.s lost a couple but we went from 32 to 28 so we don't really have anything yeah, to complain yeah. about but it, it it looks like it's becoming even harder to be a non-us pro which yeah. i think is a a loss for the magic community i do, i agree absolutely for sure yeah i saw a tweet from lisa chan uh, talking about how the apac community was affected and and he was pretty sad about yeah. the announcement and, and everything involved with that. It, it de- definitely feels in some context like Wizards overlooked how that was going to impact these players, which pretty big whiff on their part, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I kind of understand where they're coming from in some context because it, I think it's pretty clear that they are trying to save money on flights mm-hmm. where uh, they don't want to have to, you know, pay for everybody's flight to Spain because if if a majority of players are qualifying from the United States or whatever, mm-hmm. that's you know that's pretty rough and a, and a pretty big financial commitment per pro tour. So if they're mitigating that, then hopefully that that means that they're going to reallocate that money into something that's good for the community. Yeah, but since this is a half announcement, we don't we just don't know we don't know. Yeah, we just don't know. Uh, and the other the other kind of sad thing about the the PPTQs change. Mm-hmm. And there, there's always going to be downsides to change. So yeah. I think that it's important to recognize that when, you know, when complaining about the downsides. Mm-hmm. But this, I think, change this change really impacts um, local stores in a pretty negative way. The local stores who aren't these big stores that can support a, an open slash PTQ mm-hmm. or, you know, these invite-only tournaments that we know nothing about, uh, the local stores are pretty bummed because they, they had... PPTQs as the weekend events that they could host. Mm-hmm. The PPTQs, you know, didn't have to be huge, so they could host them in their stores. You know, they they don't have access or they can't run like 1Ks every time for IQs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. 
they just don't have like a the space or b whatever so so the fact that now pptqs are are leaving as well the the smaller local stores i think that that they're going to be pretty negative impl- negatively impacted by this change mm-hmm. which is kind of unfortunate so so that's something to consider i've, I've definitely heard from smaller local store owners slash employees who were pretty bummed as well about about the changes here i've heard similar things i've also heard from some of the judging community that um you know the existence of pptqs and the fact that every store had one Mm -hmm. each season um was a strong motivating factor for people to become l2 judges and to have l2 judges available for most local areas Yeah, yeah um and now there's much less of an incentive and so that's probably going you know we're going to have fewer L2 judges. It's going to be harder to find L2 judges for local events. I am hoping that some cool invitational series, you know, for these invitational uh, uh, qualifications, I'm hoping that some sort of cool, interesting series with like point systems that reward consistent success and that sort of thing will, will come out of it. But it looks like at the end of the day, pretty much everything is going to culminate in a qualifier tournament that if you win it, you get on the pro tour. Yeah. Which is just where we always are. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to spike. You got to come in first place somewhere. Right. And, you know, that's not my definition of consistent magic success. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just seems like it I, I think not even seems i think it is going to be harder to get onto the pt to start with we're getting six pts next year mm-hmm. but they're going to be smaller and the right. same number of gold and platinum pro invitations are going out yeah. and we're ne- so we're necessarily going to have a smaller number of total gp invites and ptq invites um and i think it, it just looks like it's going to keep getting harder and harder to get onto the pro tour in the first place might be easier to stay on but you know it depends on how they're going to define all the levels and that sort of thing more details to come in the future more details to come <laughs> <laughs> i do want to remind everyone who is celebrating the death of pptqs just how bad ptqs got towards the end of the system yeah they were not workable before right before pptqs started i think every ptq i played in was somewhere between like 170 and 250 people it was fun to go to like big regional ptqs and see the you know see the grinders that you knew and make connections that way but it became it got to a point where you could not like I almost could not fathom winning one of those PTQs sure. just because you would it would be like nine rounds and you'd have to end the day at X and one to top eight yeah. and it was so hard right um so th- there are trade offs here and there are certainly you know PBTQs like it sucks like you win a PBTQ at the beginning of the season and then you just don't get to play in Saturday tournaments <laughs> right. until the RBT comes yeah. around like you're right. you're suspended from play effectively. <laughs> Um, I won. That means I'm banned. Wait, wait a minute. That's <laughs> so <laughs> right. Right. Like I know one of the one of the Kiefer's like won a PPTQ and was really upset about it because like all his weekend mm-hmm. plans and like hanging out with his friends was yeah, not yeah, on the yeah. table anymore. Right. And so. I've also heard the story of a lot of people winning PPTQs and then like telling their friends, guys, don't worry, I still want to hang out, so I'm going to just come with you guys to the tournaments and everything, which, you know, good for them for, for being able to do that, but they don't get to play in the event. That right. sucks for them. Which probably just means, like, the rules for that sort of thing need to get rewritten a little bit. Like, sure. I think even, like, a, a qualified pro should be allowed to play in a PTQ. It's just the invitation goes down to whoever doesn't have an invitation sure. yet, which yeah, is yeah. certainly complicated logistically and stuff. But, like, yeah. Sam Black was talking about this, how he kind of 
and Siggy was talking about this too, how they kind of want to play in local events, but they just can't play in anything that leads up to a, a, a pro tour qualification. Exactly. Like yeah. it's just better to allow your platinum pros to go hang out with the regular Joe's mm-hmm. grinding events. Yeah. Like if, if Siggy. And I, I definitely also think that that'll help alleviate some of the, I don't know exactly the right word for it, but like the elitism that I feel like a lot of people feel like there is in the pro community. Mm-hmm. If if Sam Black and Siggy are, are are with you grinding these these tournaments every weekend just because they are excited to go and play Magic every weekend, mm-hmm. I think that's gonna just be a really positive influence for the community in general. To just be able to see these players playing and maybe interact with them a little bit, play against them, mm-hmm. learn from them, I think that's just all gonna be positive for the community. Yeah. So the fact that they like literally cannot play in those tournaments, I think is probably not that great. Right. Um, so, and you know, there's no sign that that is changing with this system. I assume yeah. that they still can't play in the PTQs, right. but you know, if I were one of the, if I were in charge of counting beans, um, <laughs> yeah. I guess this isn't accounting, but this is, this is strategy or whatever. I, I definitely would try to figure out some way of letting these guys play in tournaments if they want to. Yeah. That makes sense for sure. But might just not be something that the people who are making these decisions are thinking about at all. Right. Well, um, and so hopefully pro player consultants bring yeah. this to their attention. And there or are something. pro player consultants now, so that's that's yep. good. Yeah. I mean, a lot of thoughts here. Like, definitely complicated and hard to provide, like, really close analysis because we just are missing a lot of details. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, my, 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 I think my overall personal thoughts on it are a lot of people are freaking out about it all, kind of, and that's all feels encapsulated by the name magic fest <laughs> i just want to ignore that and actually talk about what is actually going to happen for now yeah that way we can have a really very real discussion on you know what the positives and negatives are in each in each uh element um and you know during that i think we can for the time being make make fun of the magic fest sure. name. <laughs> yeah we yeah. can make fun of it but also be really glad that if there's a nearby pro tour or if like worlds is in richmond or something like yeah. that we could just go there there's and gonna be a, a, there's gonna be a grand prix main event that that weekend yeah that we can play in you know yeah so i'm i'm excited about that for so, sure fantastic yeah mm-hmm. cool well that's probably about it for those announcements i think we hit everything that we wanted I, to talk yeah, about I there so cool um, so we should probably do a Patreon question of the week. Yeah, so that Irish guy asks, for most keep mull debates we talk about uh, if we're going to be on the play or the draw, the decks involved, the number of hits in our deck, but how much does knowing if your opponent has mulled or uh, or not influence your decision? Does the weight of that information change depending on the format decks involved? Um, yeah, so that, that does influence our decision a lot. Um, and I even talked about it in my discussion about my mulligan with Burn against Dredge, mm-hmm. is that the reason that I felt so... It was so important to mulligan all of those hands very aggressively was because my opponent snapped off their hand. Yeah. And so that is a very important factor to be looking for if your opponent mulligans or or not. Um, and then also the, the more subtle things that you can pick up on if you're attentive. You know, how quickly did they keep their hand? Did they have any discussion with their teammates about it? What did they say? Mm-hmm. There is a wealth of information out there that can be utilized by a, 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 a astute observer. I gotta say, I kind of don't understand this question. Because I've never had an opponent mulligan against me. So. <laughs> well, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'm very, very unlucky. No, I mean, I, I think that is the, like definitely really important. And and yeah, like I, I like the part asking about depending on the format slash decks involved. Yeah. If my opponent is playing a linear deck in modern and keeps seven, mm-hmm. you know that it's about to do something dangerous to yeah. you most likely. Yeah, and sure. you have to be ready for that. Yeah. I, I think that part of the reason why we tend to ignore this a little bit is that you're you're only ever getting any information from your opponent half of the time when you're on the draw. Mm-hmm. So so half the time you have to make this decision purely in the dark when you're on the play, when you're looking at your seven. But, you know, even if you're on the play, if you mulligan and then your opponent also mulligans, or if they keep, then now you get to make another decision. So that is also, you know, yeah. impactful. I will, uh, one tip that I've picked up, if my opponent looks at their hand and goes, hmm, I'll try it. Mm-hmm. Their hand is busted. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, definitely a lot of like uh, interesting quirks like that that um, that I that I hear people say a lot. Uh, that's pretty funny. Yeah, so definitely, I, I do I do think that you should be influenced by many many factors. I think that when you're making your decisions, you should account for every factor that you can come up with mm-hmm. to make the most informed decision. And and yeah, definitely your opponent keeping your mulliganing plays a big a big role into that. Yeah, sure. I mean on a basic level. My opponent mulliganing makes me more, much more likely to mulligan a hand that kind of needs something to get there. Even though I know that you advocate just tossing those back anyways. But my opponent mulliganing yeah. makes it much more likely that they don't have a completely bonkers hand. Sure. That, um, and I just want a functional hand to beat their mulligan. And so, yeah. you know, on a very basic level. Um, but that's not really format dependent necessarily. And I think going forward, I'm definitely for our keeper malls, I'm going to try to make clear what, you know, for those, I think we usually mention this, but I'd like to make a point of making sure to mention whether we know if our opponent has mulliganed or not. Sure. Or for, um, yeah. So. Yeah. But it, I mean, I can definitely see how we, we have missed that a lot. And because it's not really something that we, we think to put in those. Um, so. Yeah. And another kind of point I want to make about my opponent mulliganing or not is that when my opponent looks at a hand considers it for a long time and then mulligans my instincts typically tell me that my opponent is a disciplined strong player (laughs) if my opponent looks at a hand tanks for a little bit and says all right i'll keep then i i kind of get the feeling that they're not as disciplined of a player and 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 that, that can inform some of my decisions later on or whatever sure so, so it's interesting how I, I definitely respect people a lot for, for mulliganing more aggressively. I think that that's typically an indication of a strong player, generally. So, um, right, because you're taking a hit. Right. So, and, and even though... Because like, nobody wants to mulligan. Nobody wants to mulligan. Yeah. And the yeah, I, I, a trend I've seen is that newer players, they'll snap off a hand. One <laughs> land, I'll draw it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, just kind of a side note there, but I, I, I do thought, thought that was interesting. Yeah, so come and tell us the hands that you, you mulliganed and earn our respect. We'll, we'll, I don't know, get some little mulligan coupons, <laughs> seals, seals of approval or something. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, well, hopefully that answered the question. Uh, and, yeah, we'll definitely try to take that into account more in our, our keeper mulls going forward. But, yeah, I think that's about it for today. I agree. I think that we talked about a lot. Cool. So thanks to everybody so much for listening. Uh, if you'd like to support us, uh, again, you know, we went over this at the beginning, but we would we definitely really appreciate our patrons. If you'd like to join them, get get some tokens, hang out in the Discord. Uh, we're working towards more, you know, everything that we went over at the beginning of the episode, especially some patron streams. That would be really fun to do. So we're hoping to get that started soon. I'm in. Let's do it. 
So yeah, so go to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast or straight to mtggrindcast.com and we've got a link to the Patreon there. You can also go to that site to check out Collins' coaching services and just put yourself right on the calendar whenever is convenient for you. And I think that's still still going still going well. You can just you can just book an hour of my time for 35 bucks and <laughs> talk to me. It'll be great. I hope to see many more of you there. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Thanks to everybody so much for listening. Uh, you can catch us on Twitter, tweeting from at MTG underscore Grindcast. Collins is also on Twitter. At Collins. Uh, thanks a lot. And have a great week. Peace.